Atlanta NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for today's show is Jay Hughesman, our co-host. Welcome. Uh, Thank you, Sharon. Good morning to you. Mm, Good morning to you. Uh, Again, we we, uh, just want to extend our apologies for our live broadcast last night. Uh, We did have some issues, and uh, that's why we're re-recording and doing the show here on Friday morning. It will be, be available on podcast sometime early on Friday afternoon. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to first preview the NASCAR Gander NRV Outdoor Truck Series at Atlanta. Then we will get into the Xfinity and the Cup Series preview at Atlanta. Uh, and then during that third half hour, we will be discussing our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew, and uh, that probably is going to last maybe around an hour. We'll see how that goes. Okay, we also have a chat room feature available. Uh, you, most of you are going to be listening on the podcast, so, again, just feel free to comment in the uh, in the uh, chat room there with any thoughts that you have throughout the show or uh questions or anything that you have uh, that you'd like to speak about. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, get started with our um, truck series race at Atlanta. We're going to talk about the Vet Ticks Camping World 200. Uh, That race is taking place Saturday, March the 14th at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Start time is 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, and TV coverage will be on Fox Sports 1 with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They will be driving a distance of 200.02 miles. That is 130 laps. First two stages are 30 laps each, so stage 1 ends on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 60, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 130. Last year's race winner, Jay, was Kyle Busch. Well, no surprise there, but what we do have for a surprise this weekend is Nice Motorsport. Got a couple of different faces in the trucks. Ryan Truex and Jeb Burton running for them this weekend. Now, Ryan Truex hasn't run a race in 2020 for any of the three series he competes in, but he will be back behind the wheel of a truck this weekend for Nice Motorsports. He hasn't competed in the Gander Truck Series since 2017, it has a total of 10 top fives, 19 top tens, and two poles to his name. And he'll be piloting the number 40 truck team. He has made two previous starts at Atlanta, has had a best finish of 13th coming back in 2017. And Jeb Burton will also be running for Nice Motorsports this weekend, and he'll be in the number 44 truck. Burton has a total of 55 starts in the series with one win in 2013, seven top fives, 21 top tens, and seven poles under his belt. His win in 2013 came in at Texas Motor Speedway, where he started third. However, he has never made a start at Atlanta Motor Speedway in this series, so going to be interesting here for Nice Motorsports. Yes, indeed. I know Jeb Burton uh, can uh, do pretty well in the truck series, and I look for him to have a good run, so should be a fun race to watch. All right. Now, there's a rookie battle 
uh, going on here in the truck series. And sitting at the top of the list is Zane Smith. With just three races into the Truck Series uh, 2020 season, uh, we're going to do an update here on all of those rookies. So starting with the guy at the top, GMS Racing, Zane Smith, uh, is at the top with 58 points. He's sixth in the Gander Truck Series point driving, (laughs) driver points, and after only – after one top five and two top ten finishes and three starts this season. Now, 25 points behind Smith is Kyle Busch Motorsports driver Christian Eckes. He's in second in the rookie points and eighth in the Truck Series driver standings. And nine points back from Eckes is McAnally Hilgerman Racing's Derek Krause in third place in the rookie standings and 12th place in the driver standings. Now, Smith and Krauss are the first two drivers to win Sunoco Rookie of the Year awards in 2020. Smith opened the season strong with an 11th place finish at Daytona and a 6th place finish at Las Vegas. Last week marked his career best finish at third at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He's completed 100% of the laps he's attempted and has earned an average finish of 67 now, Christie's has had a slow start to the season, finishing 22nd at Daytona and 23rd at Las Vegas. But last week at Charlotte, the driver of the number 18 Toyota competed hard for a 14th place finish. Krauss has had mixed results in 2020, so finishing 4th at Daytona and 22nd at Las Vegas due to an incident on the third lap of the race. He was unable to work his way back to the front of the field. He finished 16th at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Looking ahead to Charlotte, I'm sorry, looking ahead to Atlanta, the only series rookie that's made a previous Gander Truck Series start at Atlanta is Spencer Davis, and that was in 2018. He started fourth, and he finished 13th. The rest of the class is making their series track debuts this weekend at Atlanta. Well, it's always interesting to watch the rookies, and it's no surprise to see the Kyle Busch Motorsports duo up at the top of the list, but I think that'll uh, even out a little bit as the season goes. Now, for the rest of the drivers, it's all about the points. Even though there's only three races into the season for the Gander RV and outdoor trucks, taking a look at the point standing shows us who's been on top of their game since the start of the season. The top five in the standings are separated by just 22 points. Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill leads that standings with 120 points, 17 markers up on second place, Johnny Sauter. Hill has accumulated one top five and three top tens in those three races, leading a total of 37 laps. And veteran, veteran Thor Sport Racing driver Johnny Sauter, right in Hill's rearview mirror, though, in second with 103 he also has one top five and three top tens on the year. And Sharon mentioned Snoko Rookie of the Year contender Zane Smith. He's sitting pretty in third, tied with Sauter. His third-place performance last weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway was a career best and pushed the driver of the number 21 GMS Racing Chevrolet up in those points. He has one top five and two top tens as well so far. Ben Rhodes is sitting in fourth, 21 points back from the driver from the lead with one top five finish and 
two top tens. Another GMS racing uh, truck is Brett Moffitt, who is the 2018 series champion. He's fifth in the standings, 22 points back from Hill at the top, and he has one top five and one top ten finish so far. Now, while we look ahead to Atlanta this weekend, Hill will have his work cut out for him to hold on to that standings lead as Rhodes is the one with the best average finish on the 1.54-mile track with a 4.8. He's followed by Moffat at 5.3. Sheldon Creed has a 12.0. Sauter, 12.1, whereas Hill is at 13.8. Okay, home cooking in Georgia. There's no place like home for three drivers making a start in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series this weekend. Home is not too far away from the 1.54-mile Atlanta Motor Speedway track. Austin Hill, driver of the number 16 for Hattori Racing Enterprises Toyota, is from Winston, Georgia. That's approximately one hour away from the Atlanta track, and Hill is making his fifth start at his home track this Saturday. Now, last season, Hill started from the pole for the first for his first time at the track. He also got his first top ten finish at Atlanta, finishing in seventh. Now, previous stats show that Atlanta has not always been Hill's best track, but his performances have continued to get better each year. Chase Elliott will be running the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet for the second Vander Truck Series race in a row. Now, Elliot is from Dawsonville, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half away from the Atlanta track. In his only start at Atlanta in the series, he finished fifth after starting ninth. This is Elliot's 14th career start in the series. <clears throat> Excuse me. Spencer Davis, also from Dawsonville, is piloting the number 11 Spencer Davis Motorsports Toyota at Atlanta. Davis is making his 11th career start and second at his home track. In his series debut, he started fourth and finished 13th in 2018. Corbin Forrester is entered to race the number seven for All Out Motorsports Toyota this weekend. Forrester is another driver that calls Atlanta his home track. He's from Cedartown, Georgia, which is approximately two hours from the track. This is Forrester's fifth start at the track, and 51st career start. His best finish at Atlanta was in 2018 when he started 21st and finished 16th. All right. A little bit of a shout-out here to some of the Gander Trucks COVID-19 support and programs. Various teams and drivers from the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series have dedicated both time and resources to supporting those in the fight against the COVID-19. Since the start of the pandemic back in March and the pause in sports, members of the trucks, uh, Gander Trucks have rallied to make a difference. Lower just a couple of examples of the great work that's being done. Start with Love's Travel Stops, which is a partner of Front Row Motorsports driver Todd Gillen, is providing bonuses and meals for employees to continue work during the pandemic. Loves is offering additional paid sick time for employees as well. They've donated $100,000 to the United Way of Central Oklahoma COVID-19 Response Fund, 
and have supported truck drivers with a $100,000 donation to the St. Christopher Truckers Development and Relief Fund. A Stuart Friesen and Halmar, Halmar International, a partner in the Halmar Friesen Racing, they purchased and donated 32,000 pounds of food for four different food banks in the New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts area. Friesen will run a special paint scheme in Atlanta with the outreach name and logo of Racing to Beat Hunger. And Jeb Burton, again driving for Nice Motorsports this weekend, they partnered with God's Pit Crew and Carillion Clinic to package 500 meals and 500 backpacks for children in the Roanoke City Public School System. And that's just a couple that we listed there of different teams that are doing things for the COVID-19 relief. That's true. Some other drivers that will be doing things this weekend include Angela Ruck, uh, from Realm Brothers Racing. Uh, there's Joe Nemechek from Nemco Motorsports. Uh, Christian Eckes from Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, Austin Hill from Atori Racing Enterprises. And uh, Corbin Forrester from All Out Motorsports. So there's a lot of really good work going on with the COVID-19 support programs. All right, now we're going to uh, take a look at uh, some of the quick facts about Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, the Hampton, Georgia track, let's see, I lost my place here, give me a second. The Hampton, Georgia track is 1.54 miles in length. Uh, it's actually 200.2 miles uh, is the race length, which is 130 laps. There is 24 degree of banking in the corners and 5 degree banking on the straightaways. The front stretch is 2,332 feet and the back stretch is 1,800 feet. Ron Hornaday Jr. still holds the race record from March 18th of 2005 at 142.424 miles per hour. The closest margin of victory, that was in 2005, it was .008 seconds, and the greatest margin of victory was in 2015 at 8.752 seconds. There have been 12 different pole winners and 13 different race winners with 11 different winning truck owners. Five of the 18 races have been won from the pole. All right. Well, again, once again, the trucks are back again and ready for Atlanta. And following the Gander Trucks' return to racing under the lights at Charlotte Motor Speedway two weeks ago to welcome the series back after the COVID-19 pandemic break, the trucks are be back in action this Saturday at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Vet Ticks Camping World 200. It'll be the fourth race of the season. The event will be the 19th for the Gander Trucks at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the first beginning being on March 13, 2004, where Bobby Hamilton started 12th in the inaugural event in a Dodge and won the race. Previous 18 races having produced 11 different pole winners, High Dillon holds the record as the youngest at 20 years, 6 months, and 4 days old, coming in 2012. And the Truck Series has also produced 13 different race winners at Atlanta, including John Hunter Nemechek, who is entered this weekend, and holds the record as the youngest series winner at 18 years, 8 months, and 16 days old back in 2016. 
Now, four of the last five race winners, Kyle Busch, Brett Moffitt, John Hunter Nemechek, and Matt Crafton, are all entered for this weekend's event. This 2020 season has been a wild one. Grant Enfinger secured the season-opening win at Daytona International Speedway, and Kyle Busch returned to the series at Las Vegas, taking home the checkered flag. Then Chase Elliott made his return to the series at Charlotte Motor Speedway, battling for that bounty out against Kyle Busch and won the race as well as the money. Matt Crafton, the 2019 Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series champion, will be making his 19th start at Atlanta, the most of any active driver in the series. He's the only driver to have competed in every race since the inaugural one in 2004. Behind him is Kyle Busch, who will be back behind the number 51 Toyota with 11 previous starts. And he's dominated at Atlanta, winning five of the 18 races he's run at the track. He's the only driver to have won back-to-back races, which he did in 2007 and 8, and he won the most recent race last season. Only five drivers in history have won Atlanta from the pole, and twice as a driver won from the 18th starting position. A Toyota has won the last three years and has in total eight victories. Dodge has the one win in that inaugural event, while that leaves Chevrolet with nine wins. In 2018, Moffitt won at Atlanta and went on to win the Gander, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Series Championship. Now, drivers that won for the first time in Atlanta Motor Speedway and the championship in the same year like Moffitt did in 2018, Bobby Hamilton did it in 04. Todd Bodine in 06, Christopher Bell did it in 2017, and then again, Brett Moffitt in 2018. So some stats going into this weekend for the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Okay. Definitely looking forward to that race. Okay, up next is the NASCAR Xfinity Series racing the Echo Park 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They'll be racing Saturday, June the 6th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time with television coverage on Fox and radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 251.02 miles over 163 laps. The uh, first two stages are 40 laps each, so stage one ends on lap 40, stage two on lap 80, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 163. Last year's race winner was Christopher Bell. First thing we want to do here is is getting to know Echo Park. Earlier this season at Atlanta Motor Speedway announced Echo Park Automotive, known as Echo Park, as the proud sponsor of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race for Saturday's race. Launched in the fall of 2014, Echo Park currently has nine locations and has transformed how consumers buy pre-owned cars, offering one- to four-year-old vehicles priced at 20 to 40% below new car pricing. All vehicles come with a clean Carfax history report and a 190-point inspection. It was great to see some of these new sponsors coming into the series. Yeah, it really is, uh, and that sounds like a good one. Okay, I'm going to start at the top here for the Stay in the Loop on the Dash for Cash. The Dash for Cash program is back for the Xfinity Series, and this time the schedule is a little different compared to last year's due to the revised 
2020 schedule as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the Dash for Cash will kick off this weekend with the Echo Park 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Monday night's race at Bristol Motor Speedway was the qualifier race. The top four Xfinity Series regulars in the race qualified for the money in Atlanta. The first of the four competitors to finish at Atlanta will win the $100,000 bonus. Now, Atlanta bonus winner and the top three highest finishing drivers who have declared points in the series will qualify for the next Dash for Cash event that will be held at Homestead Miami Speedway which will take place in the second of two Xfinity Series races being run in the South Florida that weekend. In addition, Xfinity is planning to make donations in the each Dash for Cash race market to continue showing their company-wide commitment of connecting families, veterans, and seniors to necessary digital tools during this difficult time. Now, the Dash for Cash qualifiers for Atlanta include... Race winner, Noah Gregson in the number nine junior motorsport Chevrolet. Gregson has one Xfinity Series start at Atlanta, a ninth place finish last year. He also raced there twice in the Gander Trucks, finishing 14th in his debut and then runner-up in the second race in 2018. Chase Briscoe, driver of the number eight for Stuart Haas Racing Ford, Briscoe has two Xfinity Series starts at Atlanta and has put together a 15th place result in both races. He finished 25th in his one Gander Truck Series race there back in 2017. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm having some voice problems today. Brandon Jones, number 19 for Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, has the most Xfinity Series experience at Atlanta of the four Dash for Cash contenders. With four starts, he has an average finish of 11.5, with his best finish coming just last year, placing fourth. He has not competed at the track in the Gander Trucks. Harrison Burton, in the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, will be his first race at Daytona, I'm sorry, at Atlanta. He did finish eighth there last year in the Gander Trucks. All right, well, great program there. We see the return of that, the Dash for Cash, as well as what they're doing within the community now as well. So another great program there with the Xfinity Series. Now, Collar Racing is chasing their first win of 2020. After earning a pair of wins last year with then part-time drivers Ross Chastain who at the uh, second Daytona race and then A.J. Allmendinger at the Charlotte Roval, Gallagher Racing has shown they are in the hunt again this year. They had a rough start to the season in which Chastain didn't qualify for the opener at Daytona but did run in the number 38 for RSS Racing instead. Now Chastain and Justin Haley running full-time and then Almendinger running occasionally for the outlet, Colligas put together top 10 results between the trio of drivers in the opening, put together 10 top 10 results between the trio of drivers in the opening seven races. Chastain has made, or has five top 10s in the six races he's contested in Collig equipment, while Haley has four in seven races. Almendinger has made one start, which came at Bristol last weekend, 
and he finished in the top ten. Now, Haley, two, and Chastain, one, have also paired up for three top fives. Almendinger will be making his Xfinity Series track debut at Atlanta this weekend, although he does have 13 starts at the track in the NASCAR Cup Series. Haley holds college's best finish at Atlanta and eighth place result at the track this past year. Okay, now there's a couple of more hometown drivers here in the Xfinity Series, and they are amped up to compete at their home track. Two drivers entered this weekend in NASCAR's Xfinity Series, the Echo Park 250, include the 32-year-old driver Ryan Speed and his family-owned organization, RSS Racing, that are based in Tucker, Georgia, Sieg's hometown. The team is run by Ryan's father, Ron Sieg, and the duo have competed in the Xfinity Series since 2013 when they made their series debut at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This season, Sieg is having a career-best start to the season. In seven races, he's gathered two top fives and four top tens and an average finish of 11.1. Sieg heads to Georgia this weekend, ninth in the Xfinity Series driver standings, 85 points back from Chase Briscoe, who is in the lead. Sieg has made six starts at Atlanta Motor Speedway, posting a best finish of 11th in last season's race. Atlanta's own Brandon Jones of Joe Gibbs Racing, much like Sieg, is having a career-best start to his season, posting a win, three top fives, and four top tens, including one pole and an average finish of 13.0. Not to mention, he won at Phoenix by an outracing, arguably, one of the best to ever compete in the series, his JDR teammate, Kyle Busch. Jones has made four series starts at Atlanta, posting an average finish of 11.5, including his career best finish of fourth at that track just last season. All right, we talked about him as a, as a rookie <clears throat> recap, but Harrison Burton continues to have a breakthrough season. He's driving for Joe Gibbs Racing is just the second rookie of the year contender to finish inside the top ten through the first seven races of the season, joining Carl Edwards, who in 2005, while driving for Roush Fenway Racing, also accomplished the feat. Edwards holds the NASCAR Xfinity Series record for the most consecutive top ten finishes to start their rookie season with nine in that same year. Overall, Burton, driver of the number 20 Toyota, is the tenth different driver to finish in the top ten in the opening seven races of the season. Sadler, Elliot Sadler is the most recent driver to do this in 2018, while Sam Ard continues to hold the record for the most consecutive top 10 finishes to start a season with 23 back in 1984. As for average finish in the history of the Xfinity Series, only five drivers have produced an average finish under 5.0 in the first seven races of the season, and Burton is the only Sunoco rookie of the year contender to accomplish that feat. We look at the list, 2014, Kyle Busch started the first seven races with a 2.429. Carl Edwards in 2007 was at 3.286. Talked about Sam Art. He's third on the list at a 3.571 in 1984. Right now, Kyle Larson and Harrison Burton 
I'm sorry, Kyle Larson is fourth at a 4.143 accomplished in 2014. Harrison Burton and Johnny Benson are tied at fifth at 4.571, Benson doing it back in 1995. Seventh on the list is Brad Keselowski at 4.857 in 2010. Now, this weekend will be Burton's series track debut at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and though he is off to a record pace, adding a little extra pressure this weekend is the fact that the 20 JGR team won this race at Atlanta last season with driver Christopher Bell. Bell dominated the event, leading 142 of the 163 laps, which is 87%. Burton is currently sitting third in the series standings, 26 points back from leader Chase Briscoe. On the bright side, Burton isn't a complete stranger to Atlanta Motor Speedway, as this is where he made his NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series debut at the 1.54-mile facility for Cowbush Motorsports last season, starting second and finishing in the top 10 at eighth. So more great things to look forward to from this rookie. Without a doubt. Now, the high-speed action this season has the NASCAR Xfinity Series ready for some more intense racing this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. It's actually part of a doubleheader this Saturday that features the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series race starting at 1 and the Xfinity at 4.30. Now, Atlanta Motor Speedway has hosted 28 Xfinity Series races dating back to the inaugural event in 1992, won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon. The 28 Xfinity Series races have produced 17 different pole winners and 17 different race winners. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing Kyle Busch leads the Xfinity Series in poles at Atlanta Motor Speedway with six. Stuart Hawes Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the series in wins with five. Top fives, he has 11. Top tens, he has 13. And laps led, 973, at the 1.54-mile track. Joe Nemechek is the only former Atlanta race winner in 2001 entered in this weekend's race. And fans will be guaranteed to see a new Xfinity Series pole winner this weekend as none of the former Series pole winners are entered. Uh, I think we know who the pole winner is don't we, for this race? Uh, I know they did, yeah. They did the random draw. I'm trying to think off the top of my head for the Xfinity Series. Let me see if I can pull yeah, that up real quick. Got it. I think I've okay. got it. Got it. It's, uh, nope, that's the starting lineup by car number. That can't be right. Angela Ruck, is she the poll winner this week? I know it's a random draw, but that doesn't sound right. No, because she wasn't in the uh, in the top twelve as far as the the redraw. Exactly. Okay, you you check that out, and then we'll okay. let fans know right. who that is. Um, <clears throat> I thought I had it right there. Okay. Um, so, Atlanta Motor Speedway has the oldest surface. Uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series competes on all season long, which has made for some great racing and has several drivers excited about this weekend's challenge. Uh, now, this Xfinity Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway will be 163 total laps that will be broken up into three stages, and we've gotten into that already. The first stage on lap 40, 
second stage lap 80, and the last stage on lap 163. Atlanta Motor Speedway has been home to four drivers getting their first Xfinity Series win, including the NASCAR Hall of Famer, Jeff Gordon, who did it in 1992, Mike Skinner in 1999, Jamie McMurray in 2002, Carl Edwards in 2005. 26 of the 36 drivers that are entered this weekend are looking for their first series win. Atlanta has also been the track uh, has been the track for Xfinity Series drivers got their first series career poll, including the first poll by a female competitor in national NASCAR National Series history. Shauna Robinson took the poll on March 12, 1994. Tim Bender in 1997, Ryan Newman in 2001, and Chase Elliott in 2014. So uh, some interesting stats there for Atlanta Motor Speedway as well. All right, and with the random draw, I thought that was who was on the poll, but I, I wasn't 100% sure, so I wanted to look it up. we got <laughs> Noah Gregson and Daniel Hemrick uh, on the front row, Justin Algar and Justin Haley as your top four starters, Harrison Burton and Riley Herbst, pair of rookies on that third row. So that's your top six. Um, Ryan Sieg, Austin Sindrick, and I'll round out the top ten. Chase Briscoe and Brandon Brown is your next two rows to fill out the top ten. Okay. Thank you so much for that update. I do appreciate it. All right, now we'll go ahead and get into the NASCAR Cup Series, the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. That race is taking place Sunday, June the 7th. That will start at 7, I'm sorry, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with Fox carrying the coverage on television starting at 2.30 Eastern Time. Radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're driving a distance of 500.5 miles over 325 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 105, stage 2 on lap 210, and the final stage on the last lap, lap 325. Last year's race winner was Brad Keselowski. Again, one of the first things we want to talk about here is uh, charity, and Ryan Newman is casting a line for charity. As mentioned, numerous businesses and attractions have suffered financially as a result of the closure due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Several NASCAR drivers have stepped, stepped up to bring attention and, at times, funds to assist the operations of some of these businesses. Recently, it was announced that Ryan Newman is offering the opportunity to bid on a fishing experience with him in North Carolina with proceeds raised through an online auction to benefit the Waterman's Museum in Yorktown, Virginia. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the museum was forced to shut down and furlough its employees. The museum depends on vital funding from tourism, school trips, as well as weddings. The mission of the Waterman's Museum is to demonstrate the role of the Chesapeake Bay Waterman's from pre-colonial to modern times and what the the role they've played in the shaping of our nation. So those interested in bidding on this experience can visit charitybuzz.com backslash Ryan Newman to learn more. And again, what what better fishing trip could you ask for than going with the rocket man, Ryan Newman? (laughs) Exactly, uh, known to be a great fisherman. 
Okay, now let's take a look at the Sunoco rookies here in the Cup Series. Heading into the unscheduled break in racing after Phoenix, Christopher Bell had posted an average finish of 29.0 and a best result of 21st at the season opener at Daytona. Now, since the break, the Levine family racing driver has finished 11th or better in three of the last five races and posted his first career top 10 result a ninth place at, Charlotte, at the second Charlotte race, and again at Bristol. He was the highest-finishing Sunoco rookie at Bristol. But he's facing a tough battle in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings because Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Ruddick has dominated the standings so far. Leading, uh, He leads John Hunter Nemechek in second place by just 21 points, 186 to 185. Now, Ruddick had a bit of a hiccup at Bristol as a mid-race crash relegated him to collecting just one point in the race with a 36th place finish. But prior to that, he had a pair of top tens, a seventh at the first Darlington race and an eighth at the first Charlotte race. Now, Nemechek climbed into the second in the rookie standings after the second Charlotte race and gained some ground on Ruddick at Bristol, finishing 13th. He also finished 13th at Charlotte the race before. Cole Custer, who posted his first career top 10 finish in the Cup Series at Phoenix before the stoppage of racing action, finished 18th at the second Charlotte race and dropped a spot in the rookie standings. He lost a little more ground on Nemechek and allowed Bell to close in on third just a bit, following his 35th place result at Bristol last weekend. He's now just one point ahead one point ahead of Bell in fourth and is now fifteen points back of Ruddick with one hundred and forty points. So uh these guys are gonna be fun to watch all season. I think we're gonna see them uh jockeying for that top spot throughout the year. <clears throat> oh, we most certainly are. Got a little bit of scary news though for the competition as Joe Gibbs racing has been gaining ground since the break. After a historic 19-win NASCAR Cup Series season in 2019, including Kyle Busch's second series championship, the Joe Gibbs Racing Organization is still largely fine-tuning its winning form this year. Now, Denny Hamlin, driver of the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, won his second consecutive Daytona 500 to open the season in the same triumphant way JGR closed out the 2019 season. Since then, Hamlin won the second Darlington race after NASCAR returned to racing. But those two races have been the only visits to victory lane for the stars of JGR through the opening nine races. A year ago, they had already combined for six wins in the opening nine events, three from Kyle Busch coming at Phoenix Auto Club in the first trip to Bristol, two came from Hamlin at the Daytona 500 in the first trip to Texas, while Martin Truex Jr. picked up a win at Richmond. Now, three of the drivers, Bush, Hamlin, and Truex, qualified for the championship four finale last season. And after a rough four races of the season that found all three outside the top ten leaving Phoenix, the trio has worked their way into the top ten since NASCAR returned to racing at Darlington Speedway. Truex leads the pack in sixth place in the standings while Hamlin is seventh. Kyle Busch sits ninth. And the fourth JGR driver, Eric Jones, is still in playoff contention in the 14th spot. This is the first season for Truex without longtime crew chief Cole Pern, 
So there is a natural learning curve there for the number 19 Joe Toyota, with James Small now taking over atop the pit box. And the break in racing did that duo some good. Through the first four races, they had an average finish of 24.5 and didn't crack the top 10. However, in the five races back, their average finish has been 10.2, with a 20th place effort at Bristol being the only result outside the top 10. And there's more good news in that Truex has a good history at this week's Atlanta Motor Speedway venue and was the race runner-up just last spring. He leads all drivers in laps run in the top 15 in Atlanta at 80.7% and quality passes at 883. He scored top 10 finishes in nine of his 21 starts. Now, Kyle Busch has put together top five finishes in three of the last four races so far this season and leads the Gibbs contingent with two wins in 08 and 13 at Atlanta. Driver of the number 18 Toyota has five top fives and eight top ten finishes in 21 races there and was six in the Atlanta race last year. Five runs this year have come since NASCAR returned at Darlington including his win in the second trip there. And he has a victory at Atlanta in 2012 with a total of four top fives and seven top tens in 20 starts. And talk about Eric Jones. His improvement since the break has mirrored that of his teammates. He's finished in the top ten in three of the five races since returning and added an 11th place result in the fourth in the fourth race. He finished... Du- He finished fifth at Darlington in the second trip and last weekend at Bristol as well. Jones only has three Atlanta starts, but driver in the number 20 Toyota has never finished worse than 14th, which was his first start in 2017. He has one top 10 in three races and was a career best seventh there last spring. So competition needs to look out as Joe Gibbs is gaining ground on their cars. I'll say so. Okay, it's home again, home again for Chase Elliott. As we mentioned earlier, Atlanta Motor Speedway is a home race for the sport's most popular driver, 24-year-old Chase Elliott of Dawsonville, Georgia. Elliott would love nothing more than to earn his second victory of the season at the venue. It would be a fantastically popular win for the driver who won the second Charlotte race just a week and a half ago. Now, Elliott, the driver of the number nine Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, is in third in the series point standings. He's just 45 points behind leader Kevin Harvick. He's climbed up the standings with a win at Charlotte and four top five finishes on the season. Elliott has a series best five-stage wins and has led laps in all but two of the nine races so far this season. Atlanta Motor Speedway certainly is a prime prospect for Elliott to celebrate mightily in victory lane. He has three top ten finishes and four Cup Series starts at the track, including a best fifth-place finish in 2017. His worst showing, though, was in 2019 when Elliott finished in 19th place. Interestingly, as far as for as good as Elliott's results have been, He's never led a lap at Atlanta, but his dad, NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, has won five times at that Georgia track. 
Well, with the run he's been on lately, I see that changing this weekend at uh, over at Atlanta Motors <laughs> Speedway. I've got a feeling you just might be right about that. His teammate, a seven-time champion, is banking on success at Atlanta. After putting together just three top five results in 2019, Jimmy Johnson already has a pair of top five results this season and has shown speed that isn't reflected in his finishing results at the other tracks. While his results have been up and down, which included a disqualification in the Coca-Cola 600 that dropped him from a runner-up finish to 40th, he has contended, including nearly winning the opening stage of the first race back at Darlington, crash just before reaching that green white checkered or green and white checkered flag in other races since the break he has an eighth place result in the second darlington race was 11th at the second charlotte race and then finished third last weekend at bristol this year nascar hall of famer hasn't won a race since dover in june of 2017 a streak of now 104 races without a victory but nearly every race this season has had fans thinking he could do it, that this could be the day he puts that number 48, Ally Chevrolet from Hendrick Motorsports, back atop the scoring tower at the end of the day. Their hopes will probably be high again this weekend in Atlanta, where Johnson has five wins, a number that leads all active drivers, most recently back-to-back in 2015 and 2016. He finished in the top five in half of his 28 starts at the 1.54-mile circuit and also has 16 top tens. Johnson also holds the honor of having started the deepest in the field in a march to victory at Atlanta when he won from the 37th place starting position in 2015. He leads active drivers with the most runner-up finishes at the track with four, which he did in 05-06, 08 and 2011 and he has the backing of an organization that knows how to win at atlanta hendrick motorsports leads all teams with a total of 14 victories all right so uh, i know a lot of fans will be happy if jimmy johnson is in victory lane at the end of the atlanta race okay yeah can you can you hear me yep okay Harvick uh, maintains the series points lead. No one's been more consistent this season than Kevin Harvick. It sounds like you're cutting in and out. Oh, really? I don't know why. Okay, do you want to go ahead and do this last segment then, and then I will uh, try to call back in. Okay, I got two here. We got Harvick is maintaining the points lead. Now, he's been uh, – no one's been more consistent than Kevin Harvick this season. His series' best eight top ten finishes in nine races backs that up. He finished just outside the top ten at 11th at Bristol last week. Following the runner-up finish at Phoenix Raceway in the last race before the pandemic-induced break in action, Harvick took over the NASCAR Cup Series points lead by a single point over two-race winner Joey Logano, and he's only strengthened it since, now leading Logano by 24 points heading into Atlanta. Since he took over the points lead, Harvick has earned the first his first win of the season, capturing the victory at the first race back after the break at Darlington. And Atlanta might just be the place where he scares number two. 
Atlanta Motor Speedway has been both productive and a sentimental venue for the 44-year-old Californian. He scored his first career NASCAR Cup Series win in Atlanta in 2001 in the number 29 Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, the same car that Dale Earnhardt Sr. drove as the number three when he died in the season's Daytona 500 uh, season. A then 25-year-old Harvick, in only his third career series start, earned one of the most emotional wins in the sport's history that afternoon. He answered it 17 years and 27 Atlanta races later with a victory in 2018. And he's a favorite there this weekend, too. Harvick has 14 career top 10 finishes at Atlanta, 11 in the last 13 races. The driver of the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford has led an unmatched 960 laps in just the six races, just the last six races, including 181 in his 2018 victory and an impressive 292 of the 325 laps in his 2017 ninth place run. So some heavy stats there for Kevin Harvick. Again, his win there in his third race was a very, very emotional. Okay, it certainly was. Uh, Let's take a look at somebody who's been winning uh, this season, and that's Brad Keselowski. He's also the defending winner at Atlanta, and he'd love to do a repeat this weekend. Last week's Bristol winner, Brad Keselowski, has also been the cream of the crop when it comes to Atlanta Motor Speedway's most recent NASCAR Cup Series races. He's won two of the last three and finished second in the other. And after winning two of the last three races coming into this weekend, the 2012 uh, Series champion arrives at Atlanta Motor Speedway for Sunday's Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 uh, and is ready to repeat. Two weeks ago, Keselowski took home the checkered in the Coca-Cola 600 for his first win of the year. And Team Penske's third driver, um, and Team Penske's third, Joey Logano won at Las Vegas and Phoenix, and he followed that up seven days later with a win at the Bristol Short Track. Uh, That would be Brad Keselowski. Now, results have traditionally met his high hopes, for the Team Penske driver at Atlanta. In 11 starts at the 1.54-mile Atlanta track, Keselowski has earned four top fives, seven top ten finishes, and he's finished in the top ten in the last five consecutive races. He is the defending champion of this week's race. Now, last year after winning at Atlanta, which was then the second race on the schedule, Keselowski earned three top three finishes, earned top three finishes in three of the next four events. He won his second race of the year at Martinsville Speedway four weeks after celebrating in Atlanta's victory lane. Now, Keselowski has proven himself to be a favorite at the Georgia track where he owns two wins of his 32 career wins. Fourteen of them have come on 1.5-mile venues such as Atlanta. His largest win tally among the NASCAR Cup Series style of race tracks. So Brad Keselowski is certainly going to be one of the favorites this weekend as well. And he most certainly has been. And again, as you mentioned, kind of on a streak here with winning two of the last four races. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, Jay, we do have some time left here, and I was hoping that that would happen. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is get into our fantasy uh, for our fan for racing group. 
uh, and see how we stack up there with our picks as well as our points. The picks and points. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go with the, We'll start with the truck series again. Only three races into that. A point standings right now. Owen has the lead with 10 points, and we have a three-way tie for second as Sam, Sharon, and Andy all have nine points. Uh, I'm next at six. Mike has five, and James has three. And as I look through our picks for this weekend, no surprise here as we see some of the names we've talked about. Kyle Busch will be running. I have him. Mike followed that with uh, Chase Elliott. James Mm. took Todd Gillen. Sharon went with the, the rookie that's been on fire, Zane Smith. Sam took the veteran, Johnny Sauter. Again, we talked about him second in points. Owen, our points leader, took Matt Crafton. And Andy took Ross Chastain. Did I get all seven in there? Yep, okay. All right, for the Xfinity Series. This one's a little bit different, but Andy leads that one with 28 points. Here we only have a two-way tie for second, as Sam and Sharon each have 20 then I'm at 16, Mike is at 14, Owen at 13, and James at 6. And here again, we had a little bit of a varying strategies. I kicked it off with Justin Haley. James got Chase Briscoe. Sam went with Justin Algar for the second week in a row. Owen went with Michael Annette. Mike got Austin Sindrick. And here, Ross Chastain. Oh, uh, Again, Harris, uh, Sharon went with the rookie, Harrison Burton, for the second week in a row. And Andy has Ross Chastain in this series as well. Now, on the cup side, I don't think I had to start this one. Nope, Mike got to start this one. Uh, first, uh, first, let me hit the points. This one, there is no tie, but it's still just as close. Andy leads this one at 39 points over myself at 38. Sharon is at 32. Owen at 30. Sam is just behind at 27, James at 23, and Mike at 8. Let's see. Okay, Mike started with uh, taking Chase Elliott. Owen went with Kevin Harvick. I went with Jimmy Johnson. Sharon took Kyle Busch. James uh, picked kind of a sleeper there, Matt Kenseth, uh, returning to the series here this year. Then Sam went with Denny Hamlin. And finally, Andy, Andy went with Clint Boyer. Again, that was the second week in a row for Boyer to be picked by Andy. Now, our overall points, uh, as I mentioned, all those names, you heard a couple of them always at the top. Andy leads the overall at 76. Sharon, you snuck into second place there with 61 over 60 that I have. Sam is at 56. Owen at 53. James at 32 and Mike at 27. With seven driver or seven players now, seven points available per week. Double that up in the playoffs. We're gonna have us a shootout when it comes down to the playoffs. Oh yeah, it's gonna get nitty gritty for sure. Uh, definitely have a lot of fun doing that. And and Jay, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to really organize that for our fan for racing crew. And uh, I know everybody enjoys it. I think it gives us a different dimension. I know it does for me anyway uh, when I'm watching the race because I'm looking to see where everybody else's picks are and where I stand within that group with my pick. So uh, it makes uh, watching the races a little bit more fun too. Oh, 
certainly had some uh, just waiting on picks in the uh, in the group messenger of who's going to take our driver if we don't get the pick first. So uh, always some fun <laughs> trash talking or uh, patiently waiting. That might happen occasionally, but uh, we have a lot of fun with it. Yes, we do. And, and you know, I, I really enjoy our fan racing crew uh, because uh, even though we disagree on some things, uh, we always get along very well with one another. And and uh, I, I think that's uh, really great. I appreciate all of you guys for your sense of humor and, and fun with uh, doing all of this. Okay. Now, uh, coming up next is going to be our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, I know there's going to be a couple of hot topics uh, to come on that. Uh, I know one of them is going to be about Nashville Super Speedway. It was announced this week that uh, NASCAR is going to have a Cup Series race at that track in 2010, uh, 2010, in 2021. Uh, So that was big news. And the other big news that came out this week is the uh, third installment or the next leg of the uh, racing schedule for the uh, uh, all the series, and that takes us through August 2nd. So uh, some big news coming out of NASCAR uh, this week. All right. Well, I believe that, uh, that Mike, you said Mike was going to be able to join us here this morning. It's still morning, mid-afternoon, uh, approaching yeah. it. So um, before we get into it, we're going to do a rundown um, of what ske- what was further announced on the schedule? Uh, Yeah, let's see. We can do that very quickly. Um, Let me open that up real real quick. (laughs) Okay. Uh, There's actually the first three tracks I do remember are races that are going to be done without fans in the stands. Uh, The other racetracks that are on this schedule are actually uh, still pending and will be announced at a later date. That includes Charlotte, Texas, Kansas, and New Hampshire. So uh, this kicks off with Pocono with, uh, it looks like, five races at Pocono from June 26th through Sunday, June the 28th. Uh, It kicks off with the Arkham Menard Series on Friday, June the 26th at 6 p.m., uh, followed on Saturday with a doubleheader between the Gander Truck Series at 12.30 p.m. Eastern and then the Cup Series at 3.30 p.m. Uh, and, and Eastern uh, for that doubleheader. Now, the trucks will be on FS1, the Cup on Fox Sports 1. The, then on Sunday, another doubleheader between the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. The Xfinity Series will race at uh, 12.30 p.m., the Cup Series at 4 o'clock with uh, both of those races on Fox Sports 1. Indianapolis, another track without fans in the stands, only two races there between the Xfinity and the Cup. Xfinity racing on July 4th on NBC, the Cup race at 4 o'clock on July 5th, also on NBC. Now, uh, on uh, Kentucky is the next track that's up. Again, no fans in the stands. Uh, Xfinity Series will have a doubleheader over two days, July 9th at 8 p.m. and July 10th at 8 p.m., both of those races on FS1. Then on Saturday the 11th at 1 o'clock, the uh, Gander Truck Series will race on Fox Sports 1. And on Sunday at 2.30, July the 12th, they will race uh, with coverage 
at 2.30 p.m. with coverage on FS1. Next up uh, is the Charlotte Oval. That will be the Arkham Menard Series racing on Wednesday uh, at 4 o'clock on FS1. Then another Wednesday race, the All-Star Open, at 7 p.m. on FS1, followed by the All-Star Race at 8.30 p.m. on FS1. So look for that to be a midweek event. Then next up is Texas with three races starting on Saturday. Uh, NBC Sports Network will carry that race at 3 p.m. for the Xfinity Series, followed by an 8 o'clock race for the Truck Series on Fox Sports 1 at Texas. Then on Sunday on NBC Sports Network at 3 o'clock is the Cup Race. Then they head to Texas, I'm sorry, to Kansas for four races. The Cup will race on Thursday, July the 23rd on NBC Sports Network at 7.30, followed by the Gander Truck Series race on Friday at 7 o'clock on uh, FS1. And then also on Friday at 10 o'clock Eastern uh, is the Arkham Menard Series on Fox Sports 1. Now, Saturday has a couple of races as well. Uh, that's going to be the Gander Truck Series race on Saturday, the July 25th at 1.30 on FS1. Then NBC Sports Network carries the Xfinity Series at 5 p.m. at Kansas. Sunday, August 2nd is the last race on the schedule on NBC Sports Network for the Cup Series at 3 p.m. So there you have it. Uh, if you want to have more information about that uh, schedule, head on over to, uh, to fanforracing.com, and we do have a couple of articles about that. Uh, in the sidebar is the NASCAR announces the next installment in the return to their racing schedule, and that gives you the, uh, the schedule as it runs at this point. All right, uh, next up we have our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and joining us is one of our Fan for Racing crew members, Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello! <laughs> How you doing? Doing good. What can I do? What can, what can we talk about today? Oh, we've got a whole list of things to talk about. Jay, how about we let Mike go first on the list this time? I was off for that because if he hits the right topic I want to hear his response before I respond to my good friend Mike <laughs> <laughs> oh come on now um, well, I guess we take the low hanging fruit um, we already kind of touched on the Nashville Super Speedway thing uh, they announced it actually I think the announcement came out as we were doing the show the other day and we didn't really have time to get around to talk about it um, but yeah NASCAR has announced that there will be a race at Nashville Super Speedway next year uh, tentative date, I believe, is June 20th of 2021, somewhere within that mid to late June time period, I think is what they're looking at right now. Um, if, uh, if listeners aren't familiar, Nashville Super Speedway is not the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway that a lot of people have been asking for for the past year, maybe longer than that. Um, it looks like the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway is still not ready yet in terms of inf infrastructure and what's necessary in order to hold a Cup Series race, but they still want to get in a Nashville market. So the way this came to be is Nashville Super Speedway is owned by the same company that owns Dover Speedway. I think it's Dover Raceway Holdings or something along that line for the name of the, uh, of the facility. Um, so what that company did was they decided to take away one of the Dover Speedway races 
for the 2021 season and move that date over to National Super Speedway. Uh, National Super Speedway is a 1.3-mile concrete D-shaped oval. Uh, it previously has held NASCAR Truck Series and Xfinity Series races up to the 20, uh, 2011 season, at which point those race dates were moved to other times and venues. Um, driver reaction has been lukewarm we'll put it that way uh chase elliott uh he was very quick to say uh, that the one snooze fest at the national super speedway will put a nail in the coffin of the fairgrounds which was in reference to the uh you know trying to put pressure on the uh, the nashville city leadership in order to get to the fairgrounds uh matt tift was also not very pleased about it implying that they should just cancel the idea entirely uh, and Corey LaJoy specifically said that they should put the extra wide PJ1 nozzle on there, implying that uh, he's expecting some one groove, one lane kind of racing at the facility. So I'll be cautiously optimistic. I, I, I'm always down to see a new track at a new location. Um, but when the subject matter experts, namely the drivers, aren't super thrilled about it and uh, and aren't really excited about the potential on-track product, uh, I'm, I will say it's cautious optimism is kind of where I'm sitting at with this. All right, Jay, there you have it. You've got uh, your good friend Mike's opinion on that. Well, he he changed it a little bit from his initial reaction to it, but um, it's one of those, and I understand drivers, uh, you know, Chase Elliott, I do believe, has run there possibly uh, back in the K&N series. We haven't been there yet. We haven't been there with this configuration of the cup car. Uh, so give it a chance. Don't don't shut it down before it's even happened. That that's my biggest thing. Uh, I understand it is a 1.3 in this case D-shaped oval, but that doesn't mean it's a typical cookie cutter 1.5 mile track. And it's a concrete track, which I think adds a different dynamic. And that does have a tendency to lead to, as Mike put it, a, a one lane. However, again, there are different things that NASCAR has done to include using the PJ13 uh, or PJ1, whatever the sticky stuff is. Everybody has a different name for it, but it's one of those I want to see it in action before I make any kind of judgment. Yes, I would like to see them at the fairgrounds as well, and when we wrap up with this portion of it, I'll tie in a second topic to that. Um, but getting into the national market, I like that. We've talked about these tracks that have two dates, uh, maybe splitting them up like this. In this case, it stays within the Dover Motorsports uh, track ownership. So the track or the company itself is still reaping the benefits. We've seen that with uh, SMI as well as ISC doing that as well. So I think it is a good thing. Hopefully it does come out well as far as the race. You got to have the on-track uh, performance, which which we all agree with. Some tracks, it does take a little bit of work in massaging the package for a particular track, so we'll see what NASCAR does. First off, we've got to look at how this package plays out on it to begin with and, and go from there. Yes, uh, I would 100% agree with that. I'm of the opinion uh, NASCAR makes some decisions, and when you reverse here, it, sometimes we're a little lukewarm like the drivers uh, that, that uh, Mike talked about. But here's the thing that I've learned over the years. you got to wait and see what actually happens on the track before you make your final judgment on it. Because here's the caveat that fans need to be aware of. Fans have been asking to get to National Fairgrounds. This is the pathway to open that door. 
because what happened is that there's some background noise going on that we're having to talk over. So if if you can use a mute button, that might help. Okay. Uh, here's here's the caveat that fans need to be aware of, is that they want to go to Nashville Fairgrounds. Nashville Fairgrounds, as Mike mentioned, is not yet ready. It's They have to invest some money into it. The community leaders have been hesitant to invest that money because they're not 100% sure they're going to get a return on their investment. So NASCAR is opening the door to Nashville Super Speedway to show that this is a NASCAR market and fans need to show up in the stands to show the city leaders that they should support opening the NASCAR or the Nashville Fairground Speedway. So <clears throat> that is part of the plan here in working through Dover Motorsports to open up the doors to the Super Speedway at Nashville. That's some of the stuff that I'm hearing kind of behind the scenes. And the fan support is going to be a huge factor in all of this. NASCAR has done their study. They know that this is a NASCAR market. They know that fans uh, are NASCAR fans in that area. So they're really looking for those fans to show up on race day at Nashville Super Speedway uh, to kind of prove their point to the to the community leaders to hopefully invest that money in the fairground speedway. So, uh, again, uh, I'm anxious to see the racing at that track. Uh, I'm hoping the fans do show up at the track and uh, make this a huge success uh, so that uh, that other door can open. So, uh, Mike, let's follow up, uh, get your follow-up thoughts. No, you're absolutely right. It's uh, NASCAR has definitely been desperate. You know, what, what better word than desperate to get into the Nashville market? Uh, we've seen them move the banquet over there, and they moved it out of Las Vegas to go to the Nashville market, just as, as another indicator of how much they want to get into Nashville. Um, the concern is kind of like what Chase Elliott said, where if the on-track product and the fan experience is not there at Nashville Super Speedway, it could potentially do more harm than good as far as the longer-term case to open the fairgrounds. Um, the good news is, if you want to look at it like this, is there's only – I've seen conflicting reports. I think there's currently about 25,000 seats at the Nashville Super Speedway, and it sounds like they have intention of building either permanent or temporary grandstands to increase that seating capacity to approximately 50,000 uh, before the racing next year. So even at 50,000 seats – it shouldn't take too much to sell out this facility, especially right. for an inaugural race like that. So they can, you know, they'll, they'll have the ability to go to the city and say, look, we sold every single seat that we built for this place. In fact, we doubled the seating capacity, and we still sold all the seats for this place. So hopefully, even if the on-track product isn't great, they'll give them the opportunity to demonstrate the enthusiasm that exists within the Nashville market to make that stronger case to bring back what seems to be fairly unanimously considered a better facility for the long-term future of NASCAR in the Nashville market, namely the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Okay, Jay. This I am here. Uh, is on jayski.com. I'm trying to see if it was – doesn't tell me who it was published from, but NASCAR is adding the minimum attendance provision to track agreements. 
As a publicly traded company, Dover Motorsports must provide, must make various documents available to the public, including the mm-hmm. sanctioning agreements with NASCAR for its races in 2021 at Dover International Speedway and Nashville Super Speedway. The 2020 season marks the end of a five-year agreement NASCAR had with tracks, so 2021 provides a look at any changes to the sanctioning agreements. And for the races at Dover and Nashville in 2021, there is a minimum attendance clause. It states, promoter will use its best efforts to ensure a minimum spectator attendance in grandstand seating during the NASCAR Cup racing portion of the completion of at least 70% of capacity of the facility. Now, that isn't 70% of all the track seats, but 70% of all seats are that are available and not covered by signs or banners. And I know we've talked about this on Hot Topics before. Of That kind of gives NASCAR the out of if, if something isn't working, they have the capability to say, hey, we're going to try something else. Now, with that, as Mike mentioned, that doesn't mean fans cannot go to this race and so that they take it away because they didn't hit 70%. Because, that, as you mentioned, if they do hit that high number, full capacity, that then they can say, hey, we can do it at the even better at the fairground. So it's kind of a slippery slope if they're going to say, okay, we're not going to support this one. You might not get another one. So, you know, you got to be careful with that. One thing I would like to see, and I think it was Sharon and I that talked about it, I mean, that could be one where you could get two races in the same weekend, do one at the fairgrounds and then one at the super speedway in the same weekend, do it a package deal and, and have a great weekend of racing in Nashville. So again, I think there's a lot of things NASCAR can play with. Again, I like the fact that they are trying to change things up. You know, we've seen it in the, in the old guard of, Hey, this is the way we've always done it. We're going to keep doing it. You know, we're going to rule with an iron fist. They are being more open to what the fans are asking for fickle as they may be, but also trying to get into different markets. Um, you know, and I and I hate to see any track lose altogether. So I, I like the fact that they still have the one race at Dover International Speedway. Um, we'll see how this one at Nashville Super Speedway works out and what it leads to in the future. But my point to the fans is you still got to support whatever NASCAR is doing. Again, have faith that they're going in the direction you want to see them go, but you got to support that step as well. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that's really kind of cool about Nashville, uh, one, the trophies in Nashville are pretty cool because it's built around the music industry. And there are so many different things that people can do uh, in addition to the race weekend. uh, There are so many other attractions in Nashville centered around the music industry. So I think it's a good move by NASCAR. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to see how it plays out in 2021, and uh, I hope the fans do support it. I was actually trying to look at it and see if I couldn't get down there myself uh, to to uh, be one of the people supporting uh, that effort from NASCAR. Okay. Uh, does anybody have anything more to say on that topic? Well, I have to uh, work, on, work on that, Sharon. I, I can't say speak for Mike there, but uh, Nashville isn't all that far for us to make the trip up here from Mississippi. So uh, might be a, might be a good weekend to get the, the band of the Fan for Racing crew all together. Andy would be the one mm-hmm. having to come from a little bit further. but <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty cool. 
All right. Uh, Jay, you want to go up uh, on the next topic? Still had one from the other night, uh, and I don't know, Mike, if you got a chance to hear it. We played the post-race interview from Brad Keselowski, and this ties into some stuff you're doing with Fan for Racing in your writing as far as the driver, next driver, the number 48. But in listening to Brad Keselowski's post-race interview and comment, he talked about the, the crew chief shuffle over at Penske and how they were really starting to gel with that team, which made me kind of believe maybe he's not going to leave Penske like we kind of thought he was, being that he's in a contract year and the 48 is open. But then in the latter part of the interview, he talked about how great he thought the Chevrolets and Hendrick Motorsports were this year, which brought me back to maybe he is coming. So um, I know Sharon played it, and we, we listened to it. I uh, wanted to know what your thoughts were just from that interview, if you had a chance to hear it, Mike, and then Sharon what yeah. you thought. I heard it, um, and I kind of heard the same thing you did. It's, it's it's a little bit of a mixed message kind of thing, and it's really hard to nail down one way or the other. Um, I don't know that I would put a whole lot of stock one way or the other in things that are said. I mean, how many uh, how many NFL team owners say they have complete confidence in their head coach, and then he's canned by Monday afternoon? Um, so just because somebody says something that may imply one direction that the future may go – I wouldn't read too far into that into being a firm indicator of what's actually going to happen. Um, the performance of the two has obviously been very strong so far this year. Uh, two wins, um, not necessarily dominating wins, but they don't put those notes on the bottom of the trophy or anything. He has won two of those races so far this year, including the Coke 600, which is a big one. Um, so there's obviously a really strong case that if Brad wanted to stay in the two, that opportunity is probably going to be there. It really is going to come down to the things that we don't see. If Mr. Hendrick is looking to make an offer to Brad Keselowski, what is being offered? Um, what would be the counteroffer from Roger Penske if there would be a counteroffer? I don't think it's going to be any secret that, uh, that Mr. Penske is going to want Austin Sindrick into a Cup Series ride at some point next year, whether that be in a – Team Penske proper ride, or if Matt Benedetto is once again on the outside looking in of getting displaced out for the hot in-house prospect at a team. Um, I think those are all the different factors that are going to need to come into play, and we probably won't really know too many of those details until the final uh, announcement of what's actually going to happen comes out. Yeah, I think another factor in here is it, it does seem like the relationship between uh, Brad Keselowski and Joy Logano has cooled a little bit, and I think a lot of the friction there is over the fact that they swapped out crew chiefs because uh, Brad Keselowski had a great relationship with Paul Wolf. They were doing great things in that number two car, and, and all of that left uh, to go over to the 22 car. So uh, I think perhaps with the fact that Brad Keselowski has been winning I think that that might uh, help matters a little bit uh, if that relationship starts to develop between him and his new crew chief uh, and he's able to uh, make things happen for the remainder of this year. The thing about Brad Keselowski is he's put himself in, in great position to be there when those front runners uh, wreck each other out of the race. So... Uh, Brad Keselowski has not been a slouch at winning. Uh, he's been at the right place at the right time to make those wins happen. And so I think that does show some strength for that, orga for that organization. Uh, but you guys are right. The interview kind of 
gave us a little bit of a mixed message. Uh, I think almost intentionally it was done uh, because a lot of people have been talking about Brad Keselowski being in that number 48 car as a potential for the 2021 season. Um, So I think he's left the door open for that possibility. Uh, Mixed message or not, (laughs) uh, I think he's left that door open for that possibility. And I think a lot has to do with how the rest of this season plays out. Uh, Any additional comments there? Well, I think this is probably going to be the biggest move in motorsports since Daniel Ricciardo left Red Bull a couple years ago in Formula One. Most of the driver moves that have happened in NASCAR over the past few years have been where the driver wasn't really in control of the situation. Uh, You know, a driver A gets released from a team and then is offered a ride at a different team. You know, think of Kurt Busch as an example. Uh, Kurt Busch was really never in control of his destiny in those moves. They obviously worked out with him. He's been very successful at Chip Ganassi Racing, but I don't think that was an active Kurt Busch decision that led him to where he's at right now. Um, Same thing with Clint Boyer ending up at Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, Those opportunities presented themselves, but I don't think it was a decision where where, uh, Clint Boyer had to decide between two generous offers like Brad Keselowski is most likely going to have to decide between. That wouldn't surprise me if Team Penske offers him one thing, Hendrick Motorsports offers him another thing, and it's Brad Keselowski himself who is in the fortunate position to make the decision for who he wants to race for next season. Jay. Jay, I think your mute mm-hmm. might be on. No, that that is true. Uh, you're you're right with that. Of, of this is more of a driver situation that he has the choice. Um, and there's been very few of the top drivers that have made or had that opportunity, uh, especially in recent years. So. Definitely going to be interesting. The one thing that that I look at, though, and I know they didn't put a timetable on it, with how long ago it was announced that Jimmy Johnson's final year in the 48 would be this year of Hendrick Motorsports not already having a pretty good idea or locked down. Again, maybe it's not announced or uh, been officially announced, but they got to have a pretty secure idea of what they're going to do. Uh, We're – Race number-wise, not necessarily mid-season, but um, through the actual season, we are. And and teams like that, they're marketing. They're strong at it. They know what they're doing. Uh, I think that, that, again, maybe the a decision's already pretty much been made. just hasn't been released yet. And I know I'm trying to think back to it was when Matt Kenseth left uh, Roush Fenway Racing to go to Toyota. Um, that that one got announced, I believe, was in the June time frame because I was home on vacation in Minnesota when I first heard it. Um, that really sent shockwaves because that one kind of came out of nowhere. This one, we know who's under contract years. We know that that ride is available, so we've been following it all along, so I don't think anything that happens is going to necessarily be a shock unless it's that they're promoting Noah Gregson. Um, we'll have to see what happens there. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that little shot. um, It did make me laugh. 
Anyway, uh, also on a side note, the Atlanta Motor Speedway is actually naming a grandstand after Jimmy Johnson, and I believe he's going to uh, be the grand marshal at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. So a lot of recognition for Jimmy Johnson this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Go ahead. I was just saying, as it should be, I mean, you referenced the, the Jimmy Johnson and, and his uh, moving on. I mean, he has won that for whatever reason. I don't feel like got the credit he deserved while he was racing in one of the best ever. I mean, seven-time champion puts him with Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty, but he just doesn't seem to get the credit for it that I feel he deserves. Okay. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson, I, I think I wrote an article about that back when. Um, it's been quite a while ago, but uh, a lot of people were complaining about Jimmy Johnson winning all the races and and the blah, blah, blah that we hear around Jimmy Johnson when he was uh, kind of in his heyday. And uh, I wrote an article saying fans are going to look back on this and realize that they are watching history in the making. And uh, they need to kind of relish that moment or those moments uh, while we can because uh, it's not every day that a Jimmy Johnson shows up, although we do have a Kyle Busch, and he's winning a lot of races too, and it's kind of the same thing. Uh, Enjoy those moments while they're here because uh, they are fleeting. Okay, um, I'm going to move on to another topic here. It was announced that the NASCAR Hall of Fame Class of 2021 is going to be announced on June 16th on NBC Sports Network uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, I want to get your guys' thoughts um, on the 2020 class and who are the people that you think should be taken seriously into consideration uh, on that ballot? So, uh, Jay, let's start with you on that one, and then we'll go to Mike. Yeah, this this is one of those of, and, and I think uh, you mentioned I listened to this guy on the radio, um, Dave Dave something what Dave Moody, you know he's a, he's a part of that voting process, and you can't anybody that comes up for review that they talk about. It's not a matter of whether or not they don't deserve it. It's a matter of who deserves it first or that little bit of an edge. And and looking at this list, and I know NASCAR has changed their, their process. You now have the modern era ballot um, and then the pioneer ballot, which I do kind of like the way they did that, um, splitting mm-hmm. it up. So I'm just going to run through the names here. I'm not going to give all the stats that are listed with it, but Neil Bonnet, Jeff Burton, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Carl Edwards, Harry Gant, Harry Hyde, Larry Phillips, Ricky Rudd, Kirk Shelmerdine, and Mike Stefaniak. Now, those are the modern era um, eligible, if you will. And this is one of those of it's really tough to say of what did a driver contribute to the sport. Like I said, a, a very solid case could be made for any one of these drivers. So um, looking at the list, and I I want to say that it's three off the modern era ballot, if I'm not mistaken, I would have to... I I would truthfully have to start with two of the drivers and go with Larry Phillips and Mike Stefaniak. Um, Modified drivers, uh, Mike Stefaniak, a modified 
driver from the Northeast. And his his stat is the winner of a record tying nine NASCAR championships. Larry Phillips again is the first five time NASCAR Weekly Series national champion. Um, the third one, man, that'd be tough. I, wow. Again, a, a strong case could be made for for any of them. Uh, yeah, the third one. I guess maybe Neil Bonnet. Again, it, it, you look at race wins versus championships, crown crown jewel events that they've won, as well as what they give to the sport. And I know you guys, uh, Sharon, you and Andy are big fans of Jeff Burton, what he contributes uh, as far as he did for safety. He was known as the mayor of NASCAR, always a very sound and reasonable sounding board as far as the driver's aspect, what he does for safety, what he's done now in the booth um, cover with coverage for NBC. So that third one is really kind of an open slot for me. Okay, Mike. Oh, you want to just focus on that first and then do the Pioneer ballot, or how do you want to do that? Okay, Pioneer ballot. There again, man. It off the off there. I'd I'd have to go with Red Farmer. And again, he was never at the, the top. NASCAR level, but just the history with him, a three-time NASCAR late model sportsman champion, as well as the 1956 modified champion. Uh, If you talk racing, uh, it's tough not to mention Red Farmer's name. Okay, and how about the Landmark Award? Okay. Uh, The list there... That one I I would have to go with... Uh, Janet Guthrie is the first female to compete in a NASCAR Cup Series Super Speedway race. Okay. Mike, let's go with your ideas. Well, looking at the modern era ballot, I'm kind of I'm along the same lines with Jay. It's hard to pick a few out besides Mike Stefanik. And that kind of highlights the difference in how you get nominated for the, at least for the modern era ballot. Mike Stefanik is almost like a Jimmy Johnson level of talent and success in the series that he runs in. But since it's not the cup series and he's not on TV every Sunday, not a whole lot of people even know who Mike Stefanik is, but he is absolutely deserving to be in there. Um, with regard to the uh, the cup series names that are on there, to be honest, I was kind of underwhelmed by the nominees this year. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., obviously, I don't think a lot of people were surprised to see him on there. But from an objective standpoint as a driver, I don't think Dale Earnhardt Jr. had a Hall of Fame-worthy driving career. Now, he very well should merit consideration for what he's doing in the broadcast booth, but probably not there yet. He's only been broadcasting for a couple of years. He's been producing some outstanding content, both for NBC Sports as well as his podcast, and I think he's reached a lot of fans in a way that a lot of drivers haven't um, because of that. Um, Dale Jr. has been an ambassador for the sport, and I think he's been an outstanding one at that, Uh, but just on the objective sense of his driving career, I don't know that he's there. Same thing for Jeff Burton and same thing for Carl Edwards, both very popular drivers. However, their level of success is I, I, it's above average, but I don't know that it's Hall of Fame worthy. 
Uh, Ricky Rudd is probably the uh, the strongest candidate out of all of them. He was never as dominant, but at the consistency and year-to-year consistency of Ricky Rudd, I think, was remarkable. Up until Jeff Gordon uh, finally took the record in 2015, Ricky Rudd held the Ironman Award for the most consecutive starts, and Ricky Rudd was a tough SOB. Um, and he also won at least one race every single season for going on two decades, not quite two decades, but going on two decades, Ricky Rudd won at least one race every single season. And we're talking over almost half a dozen different teams and cars he drove for. Um, so that level of consistency and performance, I think, speaks very highly to Ricky Rudd. Um, looking at the Pioneer ballot, again, Red Farmer, I, I got no argument with Jay on, uh, on Red Farmer. Uh, in fact, he's one of the few names that I think just about everyone who's even just a, a modern NASCAR fan would recognize the name Red Farmer. Um, and then beyond that, it's it's a lot of maybes, but not really a strong shoeing kind of candidate. Um, and I would say for the landmark award, Mike Helton. Um, he's been a, a phenomenal uh, leader within the sport for decades. Uh, he's very well known, and I think his impact on the sport has been undeniable and extremely positive throughout the duration of his career and involvement with the sport. So, yeah, my pick for the landmark would definitely be Mike Helton. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I see a lot of similarities here. Uh, I think we all agree on Mike Stefanik. I think uh, he's definitely up next uh, to be on that ballot. Uh, for the 2021 class. Uh, I kind of agree with you with regard to uh, Ricky Rudd, too. I think, for me, he's kind of the next guy on that list uh, because he was such a tough guy. He's got 23 uh, wins, uh, and including the 1997 Brickyard 400. Uh, he doesn't have a championship, but Ricky Rudd, like you said, he was a tough guy. I remember seeing pictures of him with the tape on his eyes uh, to keep his eyes open during, so that he could race. Um, and and a lot of people remember those kind of things about Ricky Rudd. I remember uh, him and, and Harvick one time getting into it. Um, but Ricky Rudd is is uh, I don't think he gets the recognition that he really deserves as being uh, a, a tough driver in the time that he drove. Uh, but I'm going to mention somebody that you guys didn't mention, and I think he deserves to be on on in, included in this group, and that's Kirk Shelmerding. He's a four-time NASCAR Cup Series championship crew chief. And um, he he did crew chief for Dale Earnhardt, and uh, I think that's probably where uh, most, if not all, of those uh, championships came from. But um, Kirk Shelmerdine, I think, is another person that I think should be considered uh, because you don't see, uh, as I go down that list, not many of these people are saying that they are national or champions. Uh, Larry Phillips is on was a national champion. Uh, but if you look at the rest of them, uh, Carl Edwards was an Xfinity Series champion. Uh, Dale Earnhardt, same thing, two-time Xfinity Series champion. But Kirk Jelmerdine, four Cup Series championships, I think that's worthy and uh, someone who should be considered. Uh, and I agree with a lot of the comments that are already made about some of these other candidates. I love Jeff Burton. Uh, I would love to see him at some point. I think his uh, broadcast career 
uh, could really be added. I think he has done a lot for the safety, and I would love to see Jeff Burton somewhere down the road be considered. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not sure that it's there quite yet either. On the pioneer ballot, I, we got to agree it's Red Farmer on this list uh, for that pioneer ba- ballot. Not much more to say there. And I would have to agree with Mike on the Landmark Award. Mike Helton is next up in my mind and should be recognized for that Landmark Award and be part of that 2021 class. And uh, he's the third president in NASCAR uh, in 2000. His career included track operator roles at Atlanta Motor Speedway and at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, But Mike Helton was very popular. I've seen him out in the garage area. He doesn't sit behind a desk. He is out there talking to people, doing things, um, and uh, very actively involved within the sport. So uh, I and, and people did not want to have to go into the hauler to talk with Mike Helton. So he kept everybody in line as well. So I would have to go with Mike Helton there. Okay, let's there should do also a follow-up be a, uh, there. There should be a second entry as well uh, for Mike Helton's mustache. Uh, I believe that should <laughs> also be individually enshrined into the Hall of Fame. And there you go. Okay, Jay, your your follow-up comments. Well, and just in that short segment, it it ran through my mind of what Dave Moody talked about. It's not that any of these aren't deserving, and it isn't the NASCAR Cup Series Hall of Fame. It's the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and you got to look at the impact they had on the sport. So as as Mike was saying, and I kind of have to agree, Dale Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s on-track performance, uh, but you mentioned he does that as a two-time Xfinity Series champion. He's a championship uh, car owner now but the impact he had on the sport and bringing it to another level. Jeff Gordon did it when he came in. Dale Earnhardt did it when he came through. Now, those two have better stats as far as championships, wins, whatever. However, you can't discredit just the impact that it had. I mean, how many fans tune in to see Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the track, whether he's running good or not? (laughs) So that impact that it has on the sport you know, also has to come into play. Just like Sharon mentioned, when we talk about Jeff Burton, there's a lot he did that maybe isn't in the record books as far as on track, but there is a huge impact he had on the sport. So that's what makes this really so tough. And and I know it, when Dave Moody talks about it, a lot of it in the, in these sessions when they discuss it is just about the things they have done and what kind of impact it had on the sport. And every one of them has. Uh, the one, I know when you're talking about Talking about Ricky Rudd, I look to Harry Gant. He's another one, and he only has 18 Cup Series victories, two of them being crown jewels, as I mentioned, the Southern 500s. But he was one, too, in his era was Mr. September, Handsome Harry. You know, so there again, and it's tough for me to talk about him as as a great deal because that was when I first started getting into racing, but I do remember seeing him run. Um as far as truly knowing what his impact was during his era, you know, whereas Ricky Rudd I'm more familiar with, um, and obviously Carl Edwards Jr. and Jeff Burton were in, more in my time frame. So it, it is really a, a, just a tough thing to look at. Every one of them on this list is there for a reason. Uh, when you mentioned crew chiefs, the other one t- comparing crew chiefs under the uh, pioneer ballot, Jake Elder. Uh, I've watched some documentaries on that, Suitcase Jake. 
a three-time NASCAR mm-hmm. Cup Series champion crew chief. You know, the same type of thing of a, crew chiefs a lot of times don't get really recognized for what they're doing. And you made a very strong case for Kirk Shelmerdine for that same reason. So uh, well, it, it's one of those, again, I, I don't know that I'd want to be a part of. I do, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Mike, did you have anything more? I mean, I, it, I would just piggyback, you know, exactly what Jay was saying. Um, it's really easy. It's it's like, you know, a, a, a football team where it's really easy to focus on the quarterback and you don't think about the linemen. And it's kind of the same way in NASCAR. We get very fixated on the drivers, and rightly so, but there's a lot of other people who contribute to the sport, and without their contributions, those uh, you know the sport wouldn't be what it is right now. And that also includes drivers who contribute in ways that don't involve driving a race car. Um, so that does make it a lot more complicated and more difficult to come up with the decision of what is a criteria that merits being in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I'm kind of with Jay. I'm glad I don't need to make the decision. I'm, I'm, I got no problem offering my own opinion on a on a radio show, but putting my name on paper and saying, "Yeah, this is what I think it needs to be." Yeah. That's difficult. Yeah, and and Jeff Burton certainly does fit that bill because he does a lot uh, off the track uh, to promote this sport. Uh, but another thing to mention about Carl Edwards is. Uh, uh, 28 Cup Series wins, 2008 Xfinity Series champion. What they don't mention here is how many times he's come in second, uh, the runner-up to the championship in the Cup Series. And I kind of, Carl Edwards kind of reminds me a little bit of Brett Lorenzen from the Chicago area, Elmhurst, Illinois. Uh, he he's on he's a Hall of Famer. And I've always called him a shooting star because he he never ra- really raced full time, but what he did in the short time that he was on that track was phenomenal. And Carl Edwards, I think, is going to be kind of the same thing. He's going to be a shooting star. Uh, 28 NASCAR Cup wins, the Xfinity Series champion, and what he did, coming up runner-up for that championship, uh, he's certainly going to be worthy of that in time to come as well as a shooting star in this sport. Um, so th- there are so many guys here that are so um, big. And another point I wanted to make is that people like Jeff Burton and Dale Earnhardt, they're fans of, of Harry Gant and Neil Bonnet and Harry Hyde and, and all of these guys uh, from from the previous era. Uh, those are the guys they watched on the track when they were growing up and were fans of. So uh, I, I, there's just so much to be said for all of these uh, folks that are on this list. And you're right, a case can be made for every single one of them. So uh, just some top-line thoughts from each of us, and uh, that's all I was looking for. So, Mike, what's your next hot topic? Well, this has been kind of a, a simmering and, and brewing one. Um, but in NASCAR promotional material, I've seen a lot of use of now the Ryan Newman crash at Daytona um, and also the Matt Kens have taken out Joey Logano at Martinsville back in 2015. And I'm kind of interested to see what y'all's take is in using controversial material that involved a driver getting hurt in the case of Newman or a driver getting suspended in the case of Kenseth, using what NASCAR views as a negative as a, and, and spinning it to try and promote the sport. Um, my opinion on it is I think it can be in poor taste, um, but I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks. Okay. Uh, Jay? 
Well, that's a, it's a tough line. Uh, when it comes to advertising, the whole idea of advertising is to reach your audience, intrigue them, and pull them in. Uh, as much as we don't like to see it and, and the risk of somebody getting hurt, crashes are what draws, a, would say, a good portion of race fans. You know, that excitement, that danger level, which is what it is about. Not that we don't... Um, aren't concerned. And in the case of Ryan Newman, I know with even, um, what was it? Radioactive that they just played that this week on, on race hub again, due to the situation, Newman is back in racing and he is okay that they released radioactive from that race, the Daytona 500, which has been what, four or five months. So they, they do take that into consideration. Uh, I think one thing though, that you can spin it both ways of not only, the action of the the crash itself but then from that promote the safety of this is what we've accomplished ryan newman the driver was able to walk away from this so from that aspect of it uh understand as far as the matt kenseth uh joey logano deal and uh, you could name a, a ton of others uh you know i think it's a, a eddie gossage at texas controversy creates cash I mean, the minute something happens, uh, you know, he's one that he's got no problem putting it out. Two, two of the drivers or whatever in boxing gloves, you know, threat, wanting to put him in a ring and out in the infield. So, yeah, I mean, and and you can't hide it or deny it. You know, it is what is part of racing that that's part of it, and it's no different in any other sport when you see the pitcher and catcher, uh, batter and pitcher brawl in, in baseball. It hits Sports Center. It hits the highlights. People are going to tune in to see what happens next. So then that's what marketing is all about. So you got to use what tools are available. Um, but there can be a line, like Mike said, of maybe in bad taste or, you know, obviously you see the situation in Dale Earnhardt where he did pass in that accident. You don't see a whole lot of that footage. So um, the fact that, again, Ryan Newman is okay, they can use it as a safety promotion as well of from that aspect. So, it's a it's a tough line. I, I understand where Mike's coming from with that concern. Okay. Um, first of all, what would we talk about on hot topics if it wasn't for controversy? Okay. <laughs> uh, let me just start out by saying, I, you know, I wish it wasn't this way, but the reality of the situation is that it is. And so, yeah, controversy is what gets people talking. It's the water cooler talk. Uh, you know, the Joey Logano and, and Chase Elliott uh, having a conversation. Everybody wants to know what did they say to each other. Um, so that's that's part of the marketing of NASCAR, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, and, and you know, when people are talking, it creates a buzz and, and you know, it can bring in other eyes to, to see the sport. So there is a positive side to it as much as it's kind of not necessarily the way we might like to do it. Um, but so I think you guys have made that point pretty well. Um, but I, I I used to look at that, too, even before I got into NASCAR and I'd see the commercials on TV and they'd show all these wrecks. And I'm, I'm, I remember thinking to myself, who would want to go see that? You know, I, if I'm going to go to a racetrack, I want to watch the guys race. I don't want to watch them wreck. But that was my thought as an outsider 
Uh, and I don't know how many outsiders look at that and think that, but that's certainly what I thought when I saw those commercials before I was a fan. So um, uh, let's go around the table one more time for follow-ups. Jay, I mean, sorry, Mike. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is really that fine line. Um, as far as wrecking stuff goes, I, I definitely agree that, you know, if, if, if the, the line there is most likely if somebody got hurt, um, that's probably automatically in poor taste to use it. And I think you're right. We don't see a lot of use of the, uh, the Kyle Bush crash from Daytona where he broke his leg. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is that concern. I think the bigger one, though, is probably, you know, the, the, the Kenseth versus Logano. Is, that one really sticks with me because NBC uses it a lot. And but I think the mixed the mixed message is kind, of, is kind of what bothers me. If this is something that was so bad that merited suspending one of the biggest drivers in the sport for two races, the mixed message is: well, if it's bad enough to suspend the driver, how is it not bad enough that we don't that we don't want to promote the sport on that? Um, I think that's kind of what sticks in my craw a little bit with that. Jay. It, it goes back to of what really put NASCAR on the map, and that's the 1979 Daytona 500 <laughs> fight in the infield. I mean, you know, you can argue it as much as you want, but that is what really put NASCAR on the map and the build to, to where right. it's at today. Um, you know, and it, it go with what, just with what Sharon said. You want to see racing. I know Mike wants to say, okay, if it's not a good race, if they don't have a side-by-side battle all the way to the checkered flag uh, coming to the finish, well, guess what? If you have that, this is a byproduct of it, that intensity. You know, I know this wasn't for, for the finish, but obviously that intensity to get to that position, this is a byproduct of that. Just as super speedway racing, you want to see that side-by-side at 200 miles an hour, well, if you got that, you're going to have some horrific crashes. The big one, it's a byproduct of it. So it comes with it. Uh, you know, again, you got to kind of accept it. You want to do what you can as far as prevent it safety wise, especially, but it's going to happen. Um, so like I said, I, I do see where there is a fine line of, of what to use and whatnot. But uh, again, from the marketing side, that's their tool. So, I mean, that's, what draws people in, as Sharon said, it's a, what gets people talking at the water cooler and, and creates that buzz and brings somebody else in be like, oh, what happened? You know, well, I want to see what happens next week when they go. Think about it, the Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch thing. How long that's been going now for two or three weeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to, to speak to the point that you brought up about the Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano thing, I agree. That's not... That's a mixed message when they promote, use that to promote the racing because he obviously did something that was uh, over the line uh, with that incident. And I agree with you, that probably should not be one of the things that is used as, as a promotion uh, because of that mixed message. Uh, and and I've had a problem with some of the messaging within NASCAR anyway when it comes to if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Uh, I, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think it speaks to the integrity of the drivers. I think it speaks to the integrity of the sport. And I, push the envelope, is, but push it to the limit. Don't go over that limit. I think we've got smart guys in there. If they can push it 
over the limit, they can certainly push it within the limit. And and that's what I'm looking for. So uh, I'm an integrity person, so I, I look for integrity in the sports, and I agree with you with regard to that Matt Kenseth and uh, Joy Logano thing. Um, that should not be shown because NASCAR should be a sport uh, of integrity in my mind. And I I really hate that mixed messaging uh, that cheating is an acceptable thing to do. I think it's the wrong message to send to our next generation. Okay. <laughs> I'm off my soapbox. All right. Uh, uh, Jay, I think you're up next. Now, keep in mind, uh, one thing I did learn from yesterday's experience, I thought that the uh, – continuation of the recording just kept on and on until we got kicked off well we found out yesterday jay didn't we that it really only recorded about five minutes after uh that time frame so we're going to have to try to get done as close to 12 o'clock as we can because otherwise we are going to be cut off so jay do you have another topic we can uh fit in here well, I decided I'd bring this up. It was about an hour ago on Twitter um, from Chase Elliott. He said a lot of y'all have been asking about the bounty money and what I decided to do with it. Uh, so here's where we landed. From Kevin Harvick to 50000 went to a Feed the Children COVID-19 response. And the 50000 from Marcus, Marcus Limonis and Camping World, 25 went to the, I think that's a typo. It says Res Cross. I'm assuming that's Red Cross. And then 25K to the Kyle Bush Foundation, which I saw Kyle's response of that's a great gesture, Chase Elliott, as it goes to the bundle of joy fund, which is what Kyle Bush was going to do with the money had he been able to claim the the bounty. So I think that was a great thing all the way around. All of it now went to charity, which I think in the long run, again, came out to be a, a good thing all the way around. Okay. So do we want to see more bounties? (laughs) <laughs> as fans, Mike? Well, that's really a tough call. I mean, the whole thing came about because of people bellyaching about these Cup Series guys, mainly, most notably Kyle Busch, coming down and taking lunch money from the kids running in the lower series. So I'm not sure that I'm a huge fan of making this a big common thing because – what happened uh, the, first, uh, the first race they ran with it? Well, you had two Cup Series guys finish one and two in a Truck Series race. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they're, they're both outstanding drivers, both very popular, and it probably brought a lot more eyes onto that race than otherwise would have been. But it really runs the risk of diluting the product of the Truck Series, especially when we're trying to promote the drivers who are within that Truck Series as the future of the sport. They really get lost in the noise a lot when it's a cup series guy because the cup series guy gets all the attention and then more often than not the cup series guy wins the race and now at both ends of the race the pre-race and the post-race has really diverted the attention away from some of the guys in the truck series who maybe could use that exposure in order to continue to advance their careers jay i see both sides to it um with with a just go with the with the cup cup drivers being in the race to start with. However, how many fans tuned in to the Truck Series race to see <laughs> Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott go at it that wouldn't have otherwise? When they are, you still then see and are exposed to these other drivers. 
So if it gets more eyes on that series to begin with, has to be considered a good thing. But you're right, they do during that event kind of get shuffled behind, not talked about as much. Um, but you do have new eyes, I would think, on on the series itself. When you talk about the bounty itself, and I had concerns with this going into it, and I know that it was addressed in the rules of claiming the bounty. Um, I've seen it at dirt tracks a lot where, where you have that. Again, it's a promoter's tool. If somebody's winning a lot, just like, say, with Jimmy Johnson, if we're going to keep it at the cup level of putting a bounty on them, you run that risk of integrity of what do you do to get that bounty, you know, whether it be a teammate, a silent secret partner, you know, oh, car lap down, accidentally got loose and, and took Jimmy out. Okay, the driver that was going for the bounty didn't take him out. It's not his teammate. It's not a manufacturer partner or whatever. You know, it really kind of creates that possibility. So that's where I have an issue with that as far as putting a bounty on a driver that is winning. Um, I'm, I'm one that I'm like, if your car ain't fast enough, go home, work on it, and do it that way. You know, put the work in that they did to get where they're at. Okay, I'll I'll keep mine short and sweet. I think the bounty is a good idea. It's used sparingly. Uh, it should be a rare occasion and not something that's used uh, all the time. Uh, and in certain situations, like uh, there was a lot of talk about Kyle Busch coming in and winning all those races. So uh, I agree that it was a good thing. But I will say one other thing, and that is that these drivers learn from Kyle Busch, they learn from Chase Elliott, they learn from some of these other drivers that are on the track. It is a little bit of a trade-off. It does bring extra eyes to the track that would not have been there otherwise. Um, so there, there is some positive side to that. It's not all negative, but uh, I think it should be used sparingly. Okay, now we're up to a little, almost two minutes left. Let's go around and do our roundtable. Uh, and uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, What's uh, Mike Orzel on Facebook. Yeah, Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. Um, look for another article from me on fanforracing.com regarding my next installment for who's going to be in the 48 car. That should go live sometime early next week. I know I owe you some edits on that, so uh, we'll get at it and, and get that live. And uh, also we need to get the uh, the, the – Throwback Thursday track series uh, articles going. So those articles should be live pretty soon here on fanforracing.com. Uh, no, uh, no personal appearance plans or anything for me. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's about all i got going on right now. Okay, Jay. I, I kind of like the unannounced uh, personal appearances at the grocery store personally, but <laughs> uh, um, you can follow me on uh, Facebook at Michael Hoosman. Twitter and Instagram at MoparMJ8. And my appearances all over the weekend will be at a dirt track in Tennessee, Clay Hill Speedway. Uh, I'll be doing some announcing up there in Tennessee again. And then who knows what else you might see pop up for me. Okay. Thanks to all of our fans for tuning in today. We appreciate each and everybody, each and every one of you. I know most of you are listening on the podcast today. Um, also, thanks to Jay and to Mike for being here. We had a little bit of a hiccup last night, and, and you guys uh, came through uh, to make the show successful today. I appreciate that. And uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, and uh, check out our website, fanforacing.com. With that, I think uh, we are ready to call it a wrap, and uh, we'll see everybody again on Monday night.
See you guys. Good night, everybody. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.